Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Get out of your seat. Make our visitors to feel welcome today. Get your songbook, turn on page number 19. Brethren, we have met to worship. Page number 19. Number 19 on the first, all together.
first, first, all the first now. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the Let's just do it again this morning. Sing to him, God is good all the time this morning. Let's try it all together now. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time through the set of rushers come forward to receive our offering and if you are visiting with us today we want to encourage you to take just a moment and fill out a visitor's registration for us and if you were given a bulletin as you came in there's a little card in there you can use if not they're located in the back of the pews but we would appreciate so much if you take the time to fill a visitor's card out for us and we'd like to send you some information about the church but Thank you so much for being with us today. Let me just remind you of one thing, a couple of things here. We don't usually don't take a lot of time to make announcements in the service. We do that as you come in. But uh, next Sunday, we begin our spring revival. And I want to encourage you to do several things. One, I want you to be praying now that the Lord will bless the meeting. Brother Wilbur Hurt from Indianapolis, Indiana will be with us again. He's no stranger here and always a blessing to our hearts when he comes and he'll be with us next Sunday morning through Wednesday night. So I want you to pray every day, bathe the meeting in prayer, trust the Lord to do wonderful things in our heart. And also, I want to encourage you to be faithful to every service. Be with us next Sunday, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Don't miss a night. I want you to be here for what God will do in your heart. So don't miss a service. And then let me encourage you also to bring folks with you. 
and loved ones that are unsaved. Years ago in the mountains I grew up in, the churches, when you had revival, uh, that's when you had a lot of people saved. And that was because you brought folks in. And when you had a revival meeting, they'd bring folks in and have them coming and different things. So I want to encourage you to all next week to work on your friends, invite them to come, and uh, try to get them here throughout the uh, uh, meeting there. And I know the Lord will work in their hearts. So let's really believe God for the meeting, and let's pray that the Lord will bless. Also, let me just make mention, uh, I want to be praying for Edgar Plemons, his family, of course, his son, many of you know, passed away, had the accident. They'll be receiving friends after two today. That's at the Wallace Funeral Home in Ringo, and the service will be, <clears throat> excuse me, tomorrow at two o'clock at the Welcome Hill Baptist Church, so remember that. And then I want to express on behalf of Sherry and myself and all the family, my appreciation for all of your love and your kindness and every card and the flowers and just so many from every Sunday school class and from, from many of the Sunday school classes and from many of you and so many things that you did and then all of you folks that drove up. We never anticipated anyone driving that far to be there, but several came in on Sunday and then some came in on Monday. And it was a real blessing to our heart. But I want you to know how much we appreciate all the things you have done. And they sung a little chorus, God is good. And that's, people have asked me, well, how's everybody doing? And my response has been, God has been good to us. And he has been good. Like I preached Wednesday night, God is good all the time. He's good in the glad times. He's good in the bad times. He's good in the sad times. He is good all the time. But I appreciate everything that you've done for Sherry and for her family. Let's pray and you give this morning and be faithful. Got some folk visiting with us today. I believe it is missionaries to Mexico City and uh, the Castiles. Is that correct? Where are they at? Just you. Well, good to have you with us, Cynthia Castile, going to Mexico City. Let's welcome Cynthia to our service this morning. Glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for your love and for your goodness. Continue to open our hearts up to all that you have for us today in this service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 
You worthy of the praises that we breathe. And you alone deserve the honor and all the power. That is why all your children sing.
Ask Miss Sheriff, she'll come sing for us now. She's a little bit under the weather, but we feel impressed that we this Lord needs this song needs to be sung this morning. So y'all pray for us. She comes. My heart is out to burst this morning here in this choir. And 
I don't always get to hear it when I sing. Nobody can hear anybody but me. <laughs> I'll tell you, my heart is so full this morning. I said I have sung about new grace. I have sung about peace in the midst of the storm. But I have experienced it. I tell you, as I was sitting there, my little daddy kept saying, oh, your mama wanted to come back to Chattanooga just one more time and go to church at Temple. She wanted so bad to hear this choir sing. And, and I was sitting down there and I thought, she is. We're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I believe that this morning the Lord lets her look over the banisters of heaven and he said, now, Wilma, I know how much you wanted to be there, so I'm going to let you sit in on this service this morning. And I just feel that with all my heart, it's kind of like my little daddy. And I'm making a journal of things my daddy has said because I don't just have a, didn't just have a wonderful mother, don't just have a wonderful mother, I have a wonderful daddy. And I told him God had put her heart in him over these past few months. The weaker she got, the stronger daddy got in the Lord, it seemed like. And he has said some of the sweetest things during this time of her illness and her passing. And, and the other day we were standing in the kitchen and, he said, why, she's not dead. She's more alive than she's ever been. <laughs> and he said, she, I've waited on her all these months, and now she's waiting on me. And she is. And I just praise the Lord for the peace in the midst of the storm. I'm not so foolish to think there will not be hard days or that I won't miss my mama. But I know that there's one called alongside called alongside to help and to comfort. And he is the one who brings the peace in the midst of the storm.
And aren't you glad for that? Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 8. The book of Exodus chapter 8. Be finding your place and I'll share with you a few things this morning from Exodus 8 and the surrounding chapters. The Lord is, is, is so good to us. What would we do without Him? Amen. I don't know how anyone makes it through life without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I really don't. I want you to look in Exodus 8. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. And this morning I want us to think about an unusual thought. And I think you'll understand it as we move through these sections today. But I want us to think about the kind of Christian Satan likes. You realize it's very possible that Satan is very happy with some of us today. And we may not even realize it, but he may be just as happy as he can be with how things are going in our life, and we think we're doing all right. Well, I want you to look at the story in Exodus chapter 8 and begin reading in verse 25, and we'll look at other verses today, but I want us to notice how Pharaoh rejected the demand of God, but how he eventually settled or tried to settle for a compromise. And it may be that there are those in this room today that has settled for one of Satan's compromises. Verse 25, Exodus chapter 8. The Bible said, And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God, Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey in the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And then today, for as I said just a little while, I want to point out three things from this text and its context and surrounding chapters. And be mindful and be reminded of how there are certain kinds of Christians that makes the devil happy. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have gathered here, you have ministered to our heart from the very beginning of the service. You have opened our heart to your word. You have made the Lord Jesus Christ real. You've let us see you and worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you so much for your grace. Now, Lord, you want to talk to us through your word. And so I pray today that you give us a heart that will be open to your word and ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. Anoint me, and I claim, Lord, that fresh anointing of the Lord, that I might be a vessel in your hands, that I might be an instrument today in your hands for your purposes and for your plans for this hour. 
So speak to every person in this room today. May none escape the voice of God. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, and for His sake we ask these things. Amen. I recently came across, or someone sent me, a little paper that was called Satan's Beatitudes. We're familiar with the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, but the, whoever wrote this particular article said that if Satan had Beatitudes, this is what his Beatitudes would be. Blessed are they, or blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend an hour once a week with their fellow Christians. They are my best workers. Blessed are the Christians who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can use them. Blessed are the touchy. With a bit of luck, they may stop going to church. They are my missionaries. Blessed are the troublemakers. They shall be called my children. Blessed are the complainers. I'm all ears to them. Blessed are they who are bored with the minister's mannerism and mistakes, for they get nothing from the sermon. And then blessed is the church member who gossips, for they shall cause strife and division. Well, I think about there are many church members that make Satan happy. And there are many believers, and they're not even aware of it, that they have settled for a compromise that Satan will allow and he will permit. And I'll point those out in just a few moments. But in the story here in the scripture before is a primary figure in the early chapters of Exodus is an Egyptian king by the name of Pharaoh. And as you closely look at Pharaoh in the early chapters of Exodus, you find a man that was opposed to the plans and the purposes of God for his children. You find God dealing with his children about certain matters, God making known his will, God making known his will through his word, but you find Pharaoh being rebellious to the will and to the word of God. You find him opposing the purposes and the plan of God in the life of his children. As I read the story, it reminds me more and more and more of our enemy, that is Satan, who opposes the plans and the purposes of God for our life. Now, why is it that Satan fights us? And if you don't realize it this morning, you are in a battle if you're a child of God. You're not on the playground, you're in a battleground. And you are warring against an infernal enemy. But why is it that Satan fights us? Why is it that he wars against the child of God? It is to frustrate the purposes and the plans of God in our life. There are so many things that God wants to do for me, so many things God wants to do for you, and Satan is going to fight everything that God wants to do. You see, Satan is a sinister enemy. He is very evil. He is very wicked. He is the diabolical one. But he is not only a sinister enemy, he is a subtle enemy. For you see, there are times that he is doing things in our life, and we're not even aware that he's doing it. And sometimes we find that we're even doing his bidding and not even aware that we're doing his bidding. You look at the story before us, and you find Israel's dwelling in the land, and their subsequent deliverance from Israel. And you find how Satan worked, and there are many things that the story tells us and reminds us about our enemy. May I point out three things today? The first thing that I want to point out to you is the condition the enemy produces. You go back to Exodus chapter 1. In the book of Exodus chapter 1, we read in verse 8, Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible said, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. 
Now Israel had been dwelling in Egypt for some time. And you're familiar with the story how God had so arranged the affairs and arranged Joseph's dwelling in Egypt to provide for Jacob's family, for his, Joseph's family and his father and brothers, and later on for Israel as a nation. And you know the story how God blessed them and how God raised up Joseph, how that he found favor in the eyes of the leader of Egypt at that time. But now that leader's gone. We don't know how many years are between the death of Joseph and the death of that leader and this leader in Exodus chapter 1. But the Bible simply said that he knew not Joseph. And you'll go on and read in chapter 1 following that statement that the king, this king, treated the Israelites quite different than the king or the Pharaoh that ruled during Joseph's time. And at the very beginning things went well, but the conditions that followed were not so well. And there are conditions that reminds us of how Satan often produces certain condition, conditions in the lives of those that he controls. For example, I think about one, the burden of sin. You look in chapter 1 and notice verse 11. In chapter 1, you notice verse 11. Notice the scripture. The Bible said, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. Now again, conditions started off well. When they first went to Egypt, they found everything that they could desire. Their needs were met, you might say. They found great pleasure in Egypt. But now conditions are deteriorating, and the conditions are changing. And now you find them under the burden of the one that has control of their life. What at first brought gladness now is bringing grief. What at first brought pleasure is now... If I told you that you could go out in the world and live it up and not enjoy it, I would be less than honest with you if I told you that you could go out in sin and not enjoy your sin. The simple truth is, when you get into sin or you live a certain lifestyle, you can enjoy sin. But I want to remind you this morning that the Bible is very clear. It tells us that sin's pleasure is but for a season. You see, in the very beginning, you'll enjoy a sinful life. And in the very beginning, you'll enjoy a certain lifestyle, and you enjoy living a certain way, and you will enjoy certain sins. But, sins, but sin is always the same. Somewhere, that which first brought you pleasure will bring you pain. And that which first brought you gladness will somewhere bring you grief. You see, Satan, whenever he, paints, whenever he paints a picture of sin, he always shows you the glamour. And whenever Satan paints a picture of sin, he shows you the front end. He doesn't show you the back end. And he shows you all the pleasure that you'll find. And he tells you about, come on, do this and try this, and you'll really enjoy life, and you'll really be living it up. But he doesn't show you the end results. For somewhere, sin always becomes a burden. It reminds me of the burden of sin. Second of all, look in verse 14. Not only does it remind us of the burden of sin, but chapter 1, verse 14 also reminds us of how that burden eventually becomes a bondage, the bondage of sin. The Bible said in verse 14, Exodus 1, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. You see, there's not only the burden of sin, but there is also the bondage of sin. They eventually found themselves slaves. They eventually found themselves entrapped in their condition. 
what had first been their enjoyment now has become their enslavement. Now you listen to me today. This world will paint you a picture of a lifestyle of pleasure. And Satan will tell you that if you do this and you do that, then you'll really enjoy life. And this will really be great. And it will be in the very beginning. It will be wonderful. It will bring great, great pleasure to you in the very beginning. But somewhere, sin always becomes a burden. And somewhere, sin, that which first brought you enjoyment, will be the very thing that will enslave you. I think about something Henry, Henry Ward Beecher said. He said, the chains of habit are usually too small to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. And the very thing that we think is bringing us pleasure somewhere begins to bring us misery. And then when we become miserable and we want to get out from this, then we find we are enslaved in it and we can't get out of it. We find ourselves entrapped in the very thing that we thought was bringing pleasure in our life. I think about a Dr. Ralph Stockman in one of his little books. He told about an experience that he had standing on the edge of the Niagara Falls one day. It was one cold March day. He described it as being wrapped in white winter garments, the falls glistening in the morning sun, bright morning sun. And as he stood looking at that beautiful scene, he was watching the birds as they would swoop down to get a drink of water. And every time as they would swoop down to get a drink of water, the water, little tiny water droplets, would splash upon their wings and immediately turn to ice because it was so cold. They would go up and then they would come down for another drink. And he said each time they came down, the more ice would weigh their bodies down until eventually they could not rise above the cascading waters and flopping their wings desperately, the birds would suddenly disappear over the falls. And I read the story and I thought about that's the way Satan works in our life. And how that he gradually, in the very beginning, he appeals to us with this or with that. And he wants us to do this and he wants us to do that. And we think, boy, this will really be great. Until somewhere that which brought us pleasure now begins to bring us grief. And then we find that ourselves are so weighted down and we're in such bondage to our sin that we cannot get ourselves or release ourselves free. I think about the drug addict. Do you think the drug addict in the very beginning started out with the plans that one day he would be so enslaved to it that he had to have it every day and some of the things he would do to fulfill his habit? Do you think so? Not at all. In the very beginning, it started out as having a good time. Same thing with the alcoholic. One drank here, one drank there. Just having a good time, living it up with the buddies. Until somewhere it came, became so strong and so enslaved them, now they would give a million dollars if they could walk away from it, but they're entrapped. There is the bondage of sin. And you see the conditions that the enemy, that, the conditions the enemy produces, the burden of sin and the bondage of sin. But let me move further. Look at Exodus 5. Not only do you see the conditions the enemy produces, but I'm also reminded of the control the enemy pursues. You see, in Exodus chapter 5, you begin to see God's work to deliver Israel from their bondage. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and Aaron come with the word of God. And God is getting ready to deliver his, Israel, deliver his children. And God is at work to deliver them from their bondage. But I want to remind you this morning that whenever God commences a work to deliver a sinner from bondage, Satan will never give up his prey without a fight. 
as God begins to deal with a sinner for their deliverance, then Satan shifts in to overdrive. And God begins to deliver them or work to deliver them, and you find Pharaoh's defiance. You see, Pharaoh had them under his control, and he did not want to let them go. He had ruled them, he had mastered them, he had enslaved them, and now God is going to deliver them, and he does not want to let them go. So he puts up a fight. Notice the fight that he puts up. First of all, he fights the demand of God. Look in chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible said, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. There's God's demand. God is going to deliver his people. God's going to deliver those that are in bondage. Those who are under the burden of sin, those who are under the bondage of sin, God's word is let them go. There's God's demand. But look in verse 2, you see Pharaoh's defiance. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. You read those words, you see Pharaoh's hostility toward the Lord God of Israel. You see his hatred toward the Lord God of Israel. You see his contempt. You see his defiance of God. God's word is, let my people go. And Pharaoh's word is, who is God that I should listen to? Not at all. I will not let them go. They're his. They're under his control, and he is defiant of that. I want to remind you this morning that behind everything Satan does, whether it be ruin the life of a Christian or bind the life of a sinner, it doesn't matter. What he does behind it all is in defiance to God. His work is to try to shove it in the face of God. Ever since Isaiah 14 and when Satan was cast out of the presence of God, he has had one objective in his mind, and that's to bring shame to the name of God. And he is defiant of everything God wants in the life of his children. There is the defiant, how he fights the demand of God. But second of all, he fights the deliverance of man. He says, I will not let them go. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. Satan wants the absolute control over a sinner's life. He wants to keep you in his control. He wants to keep you in his bondage. You, he wants you to be his from here out and throughout all of eternity. Satan today wants to keep you in bondage, and he will fight to keep you in bondage. I see it happen here service after service after service. The Spirit of God begins to deal with someone and God begins to work to deliver some soul from sin's burden and bondage. Satan begins to fight. He will distract. He will cause that individual, he'll make them think, maybe wait next time or some other time. Put it off today. What will this person think? Why don't you wait? You can't do it. You can never live it. What he does is fight. Why? Because he wants to keep you under his control. I think about what Daniel Defoe, the author of Robinson Crusoe, he wrote one time, wherever God erects a house of prayer, the devil always builds a chapel there. And twill be found upon examination, the latter has the largest congregation. And it's true, I'm sure there, there are many, and it's very obvious that Satan has many under his control, but here's his objective to keep you under his control. 
And he'll fight and do everything he can to keep you under his control. He ought to, his ultimate goal is this. Now listen to me. His ultimate goal is to send everybody he can to a devil's hell to perish forever and ever. So he fights. He doesn't want to let... He doesn't want to let his captive go. So there is the conditions that he produces. There is the control that he pursues. But I want to give you the third and the final thing, and this is really what I want to speak to you about. That was my introduction, okay? I won't be long on this one. Let me give you the third thing, and there is the compromise the enemy permits. When Satan, now listen to me and follow me. When Satan sees that he cannot keep a person under his control, then he'll settle for a compromise. You see, Pharaoh first said no. But God had a way of whittling Pharaoh down a little bit. The river turned to blood. The land was covered with frogs. The lice covered the land. The swarm of flies covered the land. And you look in chapter 8, verse 25, where we read just a moment ago, now Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh in the beginning. But chapter 8, verse 25, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron and says, Go ye! He's now changed his mind. He is going to let them go. He's willing for them to worship the real God. But notice carefully, but it's not without stipulations. And it's not without conditions. For you find that there is a compromise to what God demanded. In fact, there were four of them. Let me give them to you. Notice, first of all, the propositions that were given. The propositions that were given. There were four compromises proposed. Look again at chapter 8, verse 25. Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God. Now notice these next words. In the land. Now, what land is he talking about? Egypt. He's saying, all right, okay, fine, fine. You've got your way. I'm going to let you worship, but I want you to understand. You can go, but you don't leave Egypt. You can worship, but stay in the land. You can go, but don't go outside my borders. As you know, Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world. Now, listen to me carefully. God will redeem a sinner and bring a sinner out and he'll make them his child and Satan realizes I can no longer control them or they're no longer under my control. They're no longer my possession. I am no longer their master. But I'll tell you what, if I can just get them to settle for certain compromises in my life, I'll settle for that and I'll be happy for that. For example, if they will worship God but yet... Don't let it impact their lives. If I can keep them in the land and keep them in Egypt, I don't care how much they go to church on Sunday. I don't care how much they sing on Sunday. I don't care how much they shout on Sunday. I don't care what they do on Sunday. As long as I can keep them in Egypt, that I'll be happy with that. You see what I'm talking about? You know, the Bible tells us that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And you cannot, now listen to me this morning, you cannot serve God and serve mammon. You cannot live for God, on, uh, on, on, live for the devil Monday through Saturday and then really worship God on Sunday. You can't do it. And Satan says, all right, you worship God, but you stay in the land. Look at verse 26 and 27. Chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Moses said, it is not meet for us to do so. No, 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 no. That's, 
That's the best way I know how to translate it. He said, absolutely not 10,000 times no. Look what he said in verse 27. We'll go three days' journey. He said, no, 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 we are not going to stay in Egypt. We're marching to resurrection ground. We're going three days. That which represents the death and the burial and the resurrection. God's demand is that I as a believer live on resurrection ground. Not live in the world, not live in Egypt. I am to live in a victorious, living, resurrected Christ and it's to impact my life day by day by day by day. Are you still with me now? Satan says, all right, I can't have them as my own, but I tell you what, they worship, but stay in the land. Look in chapter 8, verse 25, or rather chapter 8, verse 28. Here's a second compromise. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away. He said, first of all, you can worship, but you'll stay in Egypt. Moses says, nope, nope, we won't settle for that. He says, all right, I'll tell you what you do. You can go outside the borders. You can go outside of Egypt, but don't go very far away. Satan says to you, says to me, he said, all right, maybe you're not mine anymore, but i tell you what do. Uh, you go ahead and worship God, but don't carry your religion too far. Don't go too far with this thing of serving God. Don't be a fanatic about living for Jesus Christ. And Satan is happy to, for you to give God a place as long as you don't give him the preeminence in your life. Kind of like the little girl that fell out of bed one night and her mother rushed in the bedroom. She's crying and said, Honey, what happened? Mommy, Mommy, I fell out of bed. Honey, why did you fall out of bed? And the little girl said, I was sleeping too close to where I got in. And many believers are too close to where they got in. Now listen to me this morning. He really, Satan really doesn't care how much you go to church. And he really doesn't care whether you sing in the choir, how much you teach or work like that, as long as you don't go very far with it. As long as you don't go all the way. As long as you don't say, I'm going all the way like God told me to go. Satan says, all right. I'll let you go, but stay in Egypt. No, that won't work. Okay, I'll tell you what. You can go, go outside of the land just a little bit, but don't go very far away. I want you close enough where I can reel you in when I want to do so. He says, don't go all the way. Look at the fourth compromise. Look in chapter 10, notice verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11, you have the, rather the third compromise. Chapter 10, verse 11, you read... For Pharaoh said, not so. Chapter 8, or chapter 10, verse 11, verses 8, 9, and 10, here's what Moses said. No, we're not going to settle for that. He said, in fact, we're going to go out and we're going to take our wives and we're going to take our children with us. And Pharaoh said in chapter 10, verse 11, not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord. The first compromise was stay in Egypt. A second compromise was you can go outside of Egypt but don't go very far. Now the third compromise is you men can go but leave your wife and children behind you. He said, don't take your families. In other words, what he was saying to us, just like Satan says to us, says to us today, he said, all right, I want you to, I want you, you, you want to go be a church member and be religious, great, but don't bring it into your home. Don't make it a, a part of your life. Don't make, don't, don't make it a Christian home. 
Don't put, don't put church first in your home. Don't make prayer a part of your family. Don't make the Word of God a part of your family. Don't make the will of God a part of your family. Don't talk about Jesus in the home. Don't bless your food. Leave your family out of it. Go to church, but don't go too far. And then leave your children out. Leave your wives back here with me. Let me have them. Don't make it a Christian matter in your family. I want you to listen to me. Satan will fight the home more than anything. Because the home is the instrument, God's ordained instrument, apart from the church, to have the greatest influence in this world. I read one time a study, a study that was done in New York, in the state of New York, on two families. Two families were studied, and they're uh, two men, and they're the generations that followed. And it was amazing, the results. One of them was a man by the name of Max Jukes, J-U-K-E-S. And the other was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Now, we all rec many of us recognize the name Jonathan Edwards. He was a, was a pastor there in Northampton, Massachusetts, was used to have gotten the great revival of the 1700s. But the state of New York did a study on these two families, the family of Max Jukes and Jonathan Edwards. And here's what they found. Max Jukes was an unbelieving man. Had no place for God in his life. Didn't want anything to do with God. Didn't want to hear anything about God. His wife was no different. But here's what they found as they studied 1,200 of his descendants. 310 became professional vagrants. 440 wrecked their lives by a debauched lifestyle. 130 were sent to prison for an average of 13 years each, seven of them for murder. One of, 100 of them became alcoholics. 60 became habitual thieves. 190 became public prostitutes. And of the 20 who learned to trade, 10 of them learned to trade in a state prison. But on the other hand, they studied the family of Jonathan Edwards, the man of God, the man that God used in the revival. But 300 of his ancestors became clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 became college professors. 100 became attorneys. 30 became judges. 60 became physicians. 60 became authors. 14 became presidents of universities. 3 became congressmen. And 1 became a vice president. Now, Satan fights a home because he knows a godly home makes a difference. And he says, all right, go to church, but when you get home, don't have family devotions. Don't bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of God. Leave God out of your family life. He says, all right, go to church, sing in the choir, but don't bring it into your family. See how he works? Well, let me give you the last one. Chapter 10, look, verse 24. He settles for one more. Pharaoh called unto Moses. God had to whittle a few more limbs off of him. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. First of all, he said, All right, go, but you don't leave Egypt. Second of all, he says, all right, you can go a little ways out of Egypt but stay close enough where I can reel you back in. And the third compromise was you men go, but leave your wives and children behind. But now he says, all right, your families go, but don't give me. He said, leave your possessions behind. Here's what Satan says to us. You know how Satan works in our life? He'll find it's all right, good. Go to church, get involved, but don't give your possessions. Don't give everything you've got to God. Don't give God 10% of your income. 
Don't put God, don't make Him Lord of everything in your life. As I read my Bible, I find that the Bible clearly teaches if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. And everything we have belongs to Him. Our jobs, our income, our houses, our homes, our earthly wealth and possessions, they're not mine, they belong to God. But the devil says, fine, but just don't give your possessions to God. You see, you find the compromises, the propositions that we're given. Let me give you the second thing that I'm through. I want you to get the principles that we glean from. What do, what do we learn from the whole thing? First of all, I learned that God does not settle for anything less than what he demands. God does not settle for anything less than what he demands. You know what God demands out of me? Absolutely everything. You know what God demands out of you? Absolutely everything. He demands your heart to begin with. He demands your life. He demands everything about you. And to give God anything less than what he demands... God will not settle for. Are you with me? And Satan, what, listen to me, he's happy. He's happy if he can just get me to get involved a little bit and get me a position down at the church and sing in the choir and go to church on Sunday morning. And if I really want to stretch it, I'll go on Sunday night and Wednesday night. He's happy with that as long as he don't get everything about me. As long as I don't go all the way with God. You see, God will settle for nothing less than what he demands, and Satan is happy if we will not go all the way with God and will not give everything to God. And you see, a lot of times what we're doing is Satan's bidding, and we don't even realize we're doing it. He's not worried about many because, look, he, he's, got, he's got them. They're staying in Egypt. Oh, maybe they've gone out, but they're staying around the borders. Or they're really not having a Christian home. Or they're not giving everything to God. He doesn't worry about you. He doesn't worry about that kind of believer. He's happy with you where you're at. Because you'll never impact this world for Jesus Christ. And he knows as long as you live accepting his compromises that you're going to be shortchanged all the way to glory to what you could have in Jesus Christ and what God could do in your life, and what God could put into your life, and what God could make out of you. He'll be happy. Listen, he wanted to keep you as his own, and he wanted to control you, but now that he can't claim you as his own, he'll settle for a compromise. And he'll settle for you just maybe staying outside the borders or not giving everything to God. But I think about one preacher used to say, boy, he said, I hope every time... Satan hears my name. He gets bleeding ulcers. Can I get an amen right there? Don't settle for it. Give God what he asks and give God what he deserves. Let's stand our feet, please. Are you making Satan happy this morning? Have you settled for one of his subtle compromises today? Maybe you are delivered, but you've never really God out of Egypt. You act like a Christian on Sunday, but nobody would ever know it on Monday. Oh, maybe you've got out and got on the borders, but you had not gone very far. 
And it's very easy for you to fall right back in. Or maybe it's not become a home matter to you, to where, like Joshua, you've said, as for me in my house, we'll serve the Lord. Or maybe you haven't given God everything. Satan says to you on Sunday morning, oh, you don't want to write that big of a check. You don't want to write that. Or he says when other things comes up, you hear the needs of missionaries around the world. Somebody else will make up. I, I'm not going to worry about it. And you, and you look at all these other things. If God was to ask for something you own today, would you give it to God without a moment's hesitation or would there be a warfare in your life? If there would be a struggle in your life, it's a good indication that what you've done, you and the family have headed off out in the wilderness to worship, but you left your flocks behind and you left your sheep behind and you hadn't given God everything. Don't listen. Don't, don't let Satan throw you a curve. Don't let him rob you of what God wants. He wants you three days out. He wants you on ground of victory. He wants you enjoying the resurrected blessings of a resurrected Lord. Don't settle for anything less in your life. Amen? Amen. Heads about her eyes to close. I wonder today as our ladies begin to play. I wonder today how many of you have been delivered. There was a day in your life that you came to Jesus Christ. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not, I'm not asking you, are you a church member? It's wonderful to be a church member, but church membership can't take you to heaven. I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I'm glad you've been baptized. That's commendable, but baptism will not save you. And I'm not asking you, are you a good person? I'm glad you're a good person, but your goodness won't take you to heaven. I'm asking today, has there ever been a time in your life that you came to Jesus Christ and accepted Him as your Savior? You came to Him and received Him. That's your only hope of heaven. Neither is there salvation in any other name. Acts 4.12 tells us that in the name of Jesus Christ, there's no way to be saved apart from Jesus. Now, have, how many of you have come to Jesus Christ? Somewhere in your life, you trusted Him. Would you raise your hand high all across the building? Hold it there for just a moment. You know that you're saved. You know if you died, you go to heaven. God bless you. You may put your hands down. There may be those in the building today that are unsaved. You could not raise your hand. I got good news for you. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to risk going to hell. Jesus Christ died that you might be delivered. And you can come today and be saved. And when we begin to sing in a moment, whoever you are across this building, up in the balcony, down here on the bottom floor, wherever it is, I want you to get up out of your seat and come. Let us take the Bible, let us take the Word of God and show you how you can know that you're saved. Maybe Satan has thrown you a curve and you've settled for one of his compromises. Maybe today it's time for you to get out of the land. You've been in the land. It's time to get out and go all the way with God. Maybe you're on the borders. It's time to go, all, go the full distance that God wants you to go. Maybe it's the day, the day, the day you need to say, I want to lead my family in a godly way. I want to give my children a godly example. I want to bring them up right. I want them to know about the things of God. And I'm going to give my home to the Lord. Maybe there are those today that need to give your possessions to God. You struggle with that and fight with that. And got to realize that behind it all is Satan trying to thwart the plans and the purposes of God in your life.
He doesn't want you to obey God. Why don't you, why don't you today junk the compromises and go all the way with God? Why don't some of you as dads go all the way with God today? Some of you as moms go all the way with God today. Some of you as young people go all the way with God today. Why don't you today say, by the help and the grace of God, I'm not going to settle for one of Satan's crummy compromises. I'm going all the way with God. I'm going to be what God wants me to be and do what God wants me to do. I'm going three days' journey, and I'll take nothing less. I'll live on resurrection ground. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, Satan will fight even in this service, and he is. He will fight the plans and the purposes of God for all of our lives. Lord, things that you want to do for every believer, things you want to do for me, things you want to do for this congregation, you will, Satan will fight it. But I pray today, just as you did in Exodus, in those early chapters, show yourself as the God that you are and deliver the lost and bring those that are bound out into glorious freedom today. Let us go all the way and settle for nothing less in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake we ask these things. Amen. As we sing, come. Our deacons are praying. Some others have come. Get out of Egypt. Go three days' journey. Take the children, the flocks with you. Settle for nothing less than what God wants in your life. Going all the way with God. Others, come right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come, do it. I surrender all. I'm going all the way. Nothing less than what God wants. Nothing less than what God demands. No compromises, no conditions, no stipulations. I'm going all the way with Jesus Christ. Others, oh yes. Come on right now in Jesus' name. Up here in the balcony, over here in the wing, across this building as we sing. Come. All to Jesus I surrender. Amen. Do so right now in Jesus' name. Yes. All forsaken. Sing it. Everybody, let's sing this from your heart. Sing it. I surrender all. Sing that. Pray that. Mean that. Oh, yes. To Him be praise. Yes. Now let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're going to be going in just a moment. You've listened well, and I appreciate it. But while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask for you a moment ago that could not raise your hand that you were saved. Will you let me remember you this morning in prayer? And, and I, I'm not going to embarrass you. You've been here before. You know that there's nobody here going to come to you or single you out or draw attention to you this is between me and you and God but I want to pray for you 
because I want you to go to heaven with me one day. And it terrifies me to think that you might die and go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. And you couldn't raise your hand a moment ago. Will you let me pray for you? Just slip your hand up where I can see it. You can put it right back down. Say, preacher, will you pray for me? Brother Ken, will you remember me? Anybody across the building, up in the balcony, across here, anywhere, I want to remember you in prayer. This church loves you. And we prayed for you. We want you to be a part of our glorious family, the family of God. Anybody, just put your hand up where I can see it. Then you can put it right back down. Let me remember you. Let's sing one more stanza, and then we're going to be having a word of prayer. Brother Tommy will be coming in just a moment to close our service. But as we sing, you come right now in Jesus' name. Come. Absolutely. No compromises. Lord, I give myself to Thee. Yes. Yes. Sing it now. I surrender all. Yes. I surrender all. Do it. Yes. said, Savior, I surrender all. Let's sing one stanza of that old song, Victory in Jesus, for that's where we're to live and that's what we're to experience. And let's sing that as a testimony that we're not going to stay in Egypt, God will hang around the borders, and we're not going to leave our children or wives, we're not even going to leave our flocks behind. Or in modern day terms, we're not even going to leave our Chevrolets behind. We're going to take them with us. Amen. We're going all the way with God. Can I get an amen right there? Let's sing it. Victory in Jesus while they continue to play, pray with these. I heard an old, old story how the Savior came from glory. Oh, yes. Precious blood's atoning. Sing it. I repented of my sins. Amen. Sing it out, oh victory in Jesus. I Thank you. 